0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome
1: to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric, look, um, I like doing this podcast with you. I really do. But look, I- I'm kind of, I'm a loyal guy and, you know, I kind of, you know, I hope to get that sort of loyalty back. You know, I, I make. I understand that you got the little you got got the poker stuff there on the side, and I'm prepared to go with that. But I've heard that you've been cheating on me, <laughs> Eric. Some more that it's not even just me and the poker podcast, which makes for a crowded relationship as it is. There's another one involved in this relationship now, isn't there? Uh,
2: there is. First of all, I should clarify: you want to know so little about my cheating. On you with the other podcast that you call it a poker podcast when it's really an all gambling. gambling. It's all gambling. Yes, let's be clear. Let's plug it properly. Let's gamble on, shall we? (laughs) There we go. See, I know. Um, (laughs) And in fairness, I was cheating on Bill Detloff with you in the first place. So, you know, you knew what you were getting into with me, I think is the point here. Um, But anyway, to your point, uh, yes, I have stepped out on you again, uh, although just for a single episode. Uh, I'm really excited for people to hear this. The only podcast that I listen to at 1x speed that I don't speed up is the Great American Pop Culture Quiz Show. I've been a big fan of this podcast for the past year or so. Uh, It's really well put together. A lot of fun. I've applied several times to be on. Finally got the call for the season that is airing now. I recorded my episode about six weeks or so ago, and it airs this week. Um, it hasn't hasn't dropped yet on Sunday when we're recording uh, this Showtime Boxing podcast, but it will have dropped by the time this one posts on Monday morning, assuming that I'm correct about which week my episode is airing. So I'm one of three contestants trying to advance to the next round. I will give no spoilers. Other than to say what I'm planning to say when I share the link on Twitter and Facebook, I didn't totally embarrass myself, or else I wouldn't be sharing the link or talking about it now on our podcast. So you know that much, uh, that that win or lose, I didn't fall totally flat on my face. Um, But I would definitely say to anyone out there, uh, if you're into pop culture at all or fun trivia games, it's a great podcast. You should check it out.
1: That is actually, you know, like every evening when i sort of prepare a to-do list for the following day number 1 always as the overarching theme and goal for the day is not to totally embarrass
2: myself <laughs> right i may have totally embarrassed myself at some other point that day i oh, probably right. did right. but right. over the course of that hour or so recording the competition on the uh, for the the pop culture trivia
1: i did well enough that i'm willing to tell the world that i was on it yeah. OK, so, you know, it's it's another one for the Boxing Writers General Knowledge Hall of Fame. You have David Greisman, who is a champion on Jeopardy! <laughs> and you may not have completely embarrassed yourself on a pop culture <laughs> podcast. Right. Pretty much the same
2: thing. Look, <laughs> I never claimed to be as smart as David Greisman, by the way. I, I should say, you know, my dad jokes are better than his or, or, oh, gosh, or yes. less bad than his might yes. be a better way to phrase it. Yes. But um, but David is the boxing media trivia king. I will concede that he wears that. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there you go all right uh so it's called again the great american pop culture podcast That's great american pop culture quiz show yes quiz Show. there you go all right uh meanwhile on this podcast one to which you should be devoting all your energies uh we <laughs> will catch up on all things boxing related from the other side of the pond with our good friend gareth davis of the telegraph newspaper in england he'll be joining us uh we will also take a look at some of the week's news uh, eric will give me my next top five challenge but first uh for the first time in a while we actually have a bunch of fights to catch up on um from wales from arizona Uh, But first, Las Vegas, where on Saturday night, Fox pay-per-view brought four fights from the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay, which is never going to sound right. It's the event center. But (laughs) anyway, Uh, on the undercard, Luis Neri got back in the win column, winning a split decision over Carlos Castro in a featherweight contest. Junior middleweight prospect slash contender Jesus Ramos remained undefeated at 18-0 with 15 stoppages with a sixth round knockout of Vladimir Hernandez. And Leo Santa Cruz, in his first outing since losing to Javante Davis in October 2020, dominated Keenan Carver Hall over 10 junior lightweight rounds, winning a wide unanimous decision. But we will focus on the main event in which former welterweight titlist Keith Thurman, whom we last saw in action losing a competitive decision to Manny Pacquiao back in July 2019, looked frankly as good as he has in years as he boxed and fought his way to a wide unanimous decision win over Mario Barrios, who is making his debut at welterweight. And although Barrios was resilient, and he had his moments in the final third of the contest, Thurman repeatedly beat him to the punch, opened up a nasty cut over his left eye en route to scoring a 118-110, 118-110, 117-111 decision with the win. Thurman moves to 30-1 and one with 22 stoppages, while Barrios, who was knocked out in the 11th round by Javante Davis in his previous outing, drops to 26-2 with 17 knockouts. Uh, Eric, what do you make of what was, on the face of it, Ah uh, Thurman's best outing since beating Danny Garcia in March 2017. Did you see enough to suggest how he would do if he were to secure now a title matchup with Terence Crawford or Errol Spence, or even how Keith would fare against the young guns like Virgil Ortiz or Jaron Ennis?
2: I'll say this was just what Keith Thurman needed if he's going to go on another run and be involved in some major fights again. You know, like, had he squeaked by against Barrios the way he did against Josecito Lopez in his last win prior to this? I think we're on here saying, well, that's three so-so performances in a row. Thurman isn't an elite guy anymore at age 33. But he did not squeak by against Barrios. He looked sharp. He looked strong. If anything, it could have been scored even wider than the judges had it. Uh, This looked like Prime Thurman, the guy who narrowly beat Sean Porter in 2016 and Danny Garcia in 2017. Now, Barrios isn't on the level of those two opponents, but Thurman didn't win this one narrowly. He won it convincingly. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also, for what it's worth, we learned definitively that unlike Samson, the long hair is not the key to Thurman's strength. (laughs) He ditched the ponytail and fought great. Um, So. You know, regardless of how I think he'd fare against the other top guys you mentioned or the young guns, he at least kept me interested in seeing all those fights. I I don't view him as a no-hoper against any of the names you mentioned, even if I probably do view him as an underdog against most, if not all of them. Like, I'd make him an underdog against both Crawford and Spence and against Ennis. Ortiz, that's a closer one. I, I could see that being around even money at the sports books. Um, speaking of the sports books, uh, I'll note that I, I placed a wager on Thurman by decision over Barrios. So I won that one, uh, which I needed to make up for a loss that I will be talking about in a few <laughs> minutes. Um, but anyway, the main point is Thurman's performance against Barrios keeps all those fights marketable. And if Spence and Crawford aren't going to fight each other soon, then Thurman could well be the most attractive pay-per-view level opponent for either of them. Like, Like I said, this win over Barrios, the way he looked in this fight, it's just what Thurman needed. But let me ask you about the other side of this fight, Mario Barrios. What, if anything, can he take out of this? If I recall correctly, you included him on your list of top fighters under the age of 25 that we put together a couple of years ago. He was exciting and credible in defeat against Javante Davis, but was barely in the fight against Thurman. Was this just a function of the new weight division? Was it down to Thurman's skills and experience? Or did it also tell us something about Barrios, that maybe he isn't quite at the level you thought he might be when you included him on that list?
1: Yeah, it might be a little bit of all of the above, actually. I mean, first of all, it is, of course, worth pointing out there's no shame in losing to either Javante Davis or Keith Thurman. Mm-hmm. Um, But I feel like this lost Ray some more questions than than the Tank Davis fight did. Uh, He fought extremely well against Tank before he succumbed. And and I thought at the end of that, uh, you know, he showed that he was a young talent worth keeping an eye on. But, yeah, he was just, as you mentioned, he was just not really in the fight here. He did have some moments where he seemed to hurt Thurman. But he never really looked like getting a hold of the fight. And... Yeah, obviously Thurman's vastly more experienced, especially at this kind of level, than Barrios is. And yes, it was Barrios' first time, you know, at 147. And, and yeah, it can make a difference. You know, you look at the fight and you say, well, Thurman playing outboxed him. It had nothing to do with weight. But maybe if your punches are a bit less effective at a higher weight and your opponents are that bit more effective than they're used to, it can make a difference. Um, it can prevent you from slowing him down to keep him in front of you or, you know, all these kind of things. So that can be a factor. But what was, I thought, Slightly troubling was that we we know how Thurman likes to fight, especially at 147. He, he's a power boxer. He moves around the ring. He fires off combinations. Um, he moves again. We know that that's how he's been at his most successful at welterweight. Now, it's totally reasonable going in to assume that he couldn't do that anymore. But if you're going to fight him, you have to prepare as if he can, right. just in case it turns out he still can. But it, but Barrios didn't seem to know what to do about it. He couldn't cut off the ring. He had a stage where he started going to the body and he landed to the body and he has some effect there, but then he didn't do it again. Um, you know, he, he didn't seem to notice that Thurman was maybe slowing a bit down the stretch when Barrios probably should have just dug to the body a lot more. It wasn't a performance that suggested a tremendous boxing IQ. Um, it suggested to me a, a little bit. And again, with the caveat, he's, he's just lost to key Thurman. It's, it's not a shameful performance by any means um, or shameful result, but it does... Begin to suggest that maybe, maybe I overestimated his ceiling somewhat, and maybe that at 140, his size and his strength and his reach, because he's a tall guy, enabled him to sort of overpower opponents, and he had an advantage over opponents. But I don't know. I'm not going to write the guy off. This was a big gamble and it didn't work. What I would like to see for Mario Barrios is for him to take a step back for a little while, retreat to some smaller shows and some undercards, rebuild himself a bit, learn some new skills, add some new dimensions to his game, um, see what else he has and rebuild his confidence, which probably needs rebuilding somewhat uh, after these last two fights. See where he's at after another few fights and whether he's ready to come back and re-emerge as a contender because otherwise... He might be in danger of being one of these guys who's become a bit of a name for being a title challenger and then just keeps being fed to title holders and champions for whom he's not quite ready. And is one of these guys who racks up title challenger, eliminator losses and never really progresses. So he's at an important crossroads of his career now, I think, Mario Barrios.
2: Yeah, he's kind of settling into possibly that Jesse Vargas zone, which, is, which right. is fine. You can make some money in that zone. Um, but it's, yeah, it's... You, you wouldn't have drafted Jesse Vargas uh, high in that under-25 draft, right. knowing what, what he the level he was at. And I think you had a little higher hopes for, for Barrios, and it doesn't seem he's quite going to live
1: up to those. Indeed. Um, meanwhile, in Phoenix, Arizona, flyweight contender Jesse Rodriguez stepped in and stepped up. He stepped in as a very late replacement for Swiss Leketzel who was taken ill last week, and he stepped up in weight, to superfly, and in level of competition against former titlist Carlos Quadras. But none of that was a problem for the highly regarded youngster. He knocked down Quadras in round three, won a unanimous decision by scores of 115-112 and 117-110 twice. Eric, you mentioned when we were discussing the original matchup, when it's going to be Quadras against Trisiquet, that you were sort of rooting for Quadras to get a win, if only so that he could get a meaningful win on his ledger against one of that group of Trisiquet, Juan Francisco Estrada, and Chocolatito González. Does this result now consign him firmly to the role of like the Wilfred Benitez uh, to the four kings in this modern day sort of tournament of kings, the guy who is just not quite at the level of the others? And what about Rodriguez? Is this, are we seeing the start of an exciting career for this guy? I guess I'll I'll tackle the Quadras question
2: first. Uh, He he is definitely the Benitez, um, except that this crew is not quite the four kings so whereas benitez was still a hall of famer despite being you know right. num- number 5 uh, out of 4 um quadras clearly is not a hall of famer probably doesn't even land on the hall of fame ballot if i had to guess um and i referenced earlier my uh, my sports betting loss this was it um when this fight was signed as a very late replacement i kind of figured it would be in the realm of even money And I looked at the odds and Quadras was between a two to one and three to one underdog. And I didn't quite get it. So I jumped on it, placed a bet on him to win. Now balanced with what I did win on Thurman, I finished exactly $1 up for the week. And, and no, I'm not sharing my winnings with you, Karen. Um, But uh, yeah, I guess it seems the odds makers had a better handle on how good Bam Rodriguez was than I did. Um, I thought short notice, you'd step up in class. I love the big plus money I'm getting on the veteran, but it turns out the odds were pretty much exactly right because Bam Rodriguez, who is now the youngest title holder in in all of boxing, he's the goods. Um, I had him winning 115-112, but that was as close as you could really have it. I think 116-111 is fine too. Uh, Cliff rolled and I actually scored every single round the same until the 12th, which I gave to Quadras and he gave to Bam, so he had a 116-111 card. Once Bam scored the knockdown in the third, it was clearly going to be an uphill battle for Quadras. And what a great knockdown that was, by the way, an uppercut at the end of a two-punch combination that Quadras just never saw. So, um, you know, I just said Bam Rodriguez is the goods. He is. I'm not sure if he's the greats. Um, yeah. You know, given the circumstance and and the leap up in opposition, any kind of win over Quadras on this night is hugely impressive. But, I can't say I saw a spark of greatness, you know, of of Mm. this kid is going to be on the pound for pound list someday. I wasn't seeing that Um, tremendous win. I underestimated Bam a bit. He is a fascinating new entry into the mix of guys who could take on the Chocolatitos and the Estradas. But I'm not quite ready to call him a future superstar, or future pound for pounder just yet. I need to see a little more out of him. Mm. Um, Last fight card to discuss this week in Cardiff, Wales. Chris Eubank Jr. dropped Liam Williams four times, including three times in the first four rounds, on his way to scoring a unanimous decision win over 12 rounds at middleweight. While in the co-main, Claressa Shields battered Emma Kozin while also scoring a unanimous decision win. Afterwards, Shields and Savannah Marshall, uh, the only person to defeat her as an amateur or pro in a boxing ring, got into a heated back-and-forth at ringside, and welterweight Connor Ben, son of Eubank's father's one-time rival Nigel, said that he wanted to face Eubank at a catchweight. Kieran, the storylines write themselves for those uh, potential Mm. matchups. What do you think are the odds of them happening? And how would you see either or or both of them going?
1: So I simply have no idea if Chris Eubank Jr. could make it down to 154, which is what he would have to do if Ben were in turn to move up from welterweight. I mean, Eubank has been mostly campaigning at 168. Recently, and this was a move back down to 160 for him. Can he lose another six pounds? I, I simply don't know. Uh, his new trainer, Roy Jones, suggested in, in a post-fight interview with IFL TV that he could. And Roy also pointed out, you know, he'd probably find a way to do it simply because it would be by far the biggest fight for him. I mean, it's one of the biggest fights that could be made in British boxing, period. Um, their fathers, who continued to hate each other long after they, they fought... Uh, from what I understand, have had if not quite a Barrera Morales makeup. Uh, they certainly seem to have patched up some of their differences in, in recent years. But um, one can imagine the the Fishers might open up a little bit again were something like this to be to go ahead. There's a lot of history there. I don't know if Ben's quite ready for Eubank. He even though he's looked very good and he looked very good, of course, against Chris Algieri. Um, yeah, Eubank's got so much experience, um, and there were times. You know, with Roy in his corner on Saturday night, that he looked excellent against Williams. You know, those early rounds, he looked splendid. The knockdowns were all on sweet counter jabs and hooks as as Williams sort of overcommitted to his punches. But then Eubank started behaving a lot like his dad, Mm. um, which he's generally not done in his career, I think. And he just started posing and showboating and clowning and allowing Williams back into the fight. Uh, Roy didn't seem too perturbed about that afterwards, he seemed to find it quite amusing actually, but that's something he'll not want to see too often. I I have no idea at this point whether it can happen or if it will, but you could just absolutely imagine the, the sort of drumbeat uh, of, you know, enthusiasm sort of developing for that, and if both guys decide that they can find a way to make it happen. My goodness me, that would be just enormous in, in the UK. Um, one fight that I think seems destined to happen, uh, although our guests, or although Gareth Davis, our guest, may have some more light to shed on that in a few, mm-hmm. uh, is Shields-Marshall. Uh, I think it's a great fight. Um, Marshall hasn't faced anyone of the caliber of Shields as a pro. She's already 30 years old, and she's still only got like 11 pro fights behind her. She doesn't want to be known only as the woman who beat Clarissa Shields as an amateur, but if she compete her as a pro too, then obviously that's that's a huge feather in her cap. You know what? I kind of reckon she could. Uh, she's got height and reach on Clarissa. She's very good technically she's got some very good footwork and she's got power like we've talked before a bunch of times that Clarissa's a much better boxer than she was a few years ago. um she's you know m- much better defensively. But, you know, she's taken this time out to, to spend some time on MMA. She's almost got to get back in the boxing groove a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked as if she would stop Cozen at some point, and she didn't. Um, she still only got those couple of stoppages on her record. I don't know. I, I guess I'd probably lean toward Clarissa, but everyone's got their Ken Norton, right? right? And it's not at all improbable in my mind that if they were to fight, that Savannah Marshall could emerge the winner there.
2: One thing I want to ask you about uh, there is the the, in the mouth off afterwards uh, between Shields and Marshall, the interviewer apologized to the audience, said, apologies if there was any industrial language. Um, <laughs> I'm not familiar with that one, industrial language. Is that potty one of those mouth. Britishisms that I'm too yanked to understand? Indeed, potty okay. mouth. Yeah, I know. mean, I, I figured the meaning, yeah. but I just wasn't sure if that's a common saying over there, industrial language. Yeah, I,
1: I wonder if it all stems from the notion that it was, you know, the, uh, the hoi polloi, the working class who'd, mm. who'd engage in such such that makes sense language and right. you never the, the, get way, and you the way
2: the way we talk down at the factory basically
1: precisely okay got <laughs> it yes exactly um here's a man who knows a bit about industrial language is <laughs> is uh, this week's guest he's a good friend of the podcast and he very generously agreed to be one of the voices for our two-part Manny Pacquiao retrospective at the end of last year he covers boxing for the Telegraph newspaper in the United Kingdom he covers MMA and he does it all with style and panache gareth davis old mate welcome back to the podcast
0: thank you very much kieran and lovely to see you and eric looking bearded <laughs> barbaric <laughs> and ready for some boxing talk yes
2: go. good alliteration uh, nice. as well and not i that's the first time i've ever been called barbaric in my entire life so i appreciate that um so you need to yeah, look in the mirror
0: you need to look <laughs> in the mirror Eric. all
2: right all right <laughs> Um, Enough about me and my beard and my mirror. Let's talk about you because you were just in uh, Cardiff for the uh, Eubank Williams card, which uh, I believe was the first big boxing card in the UK after the sport was suspended for a few weeks to relieve some pressure on emergency and health workers during the Omicron surge. Um, I'm not looking to spend too much time talking COVID some two years into the pandemic, but I am curious what the outlook is now in the UK. Is everything back to normal from the perspective of boxing and sporting events? Is, is there general optimism in terms of where things go from here with live events?
0: Yeah, there is. I mean, it's an, a simple matter of um, you take a lateral flow test, uh, a fast test, and you take the test result in with you and you show it on the door and you go in now. So in that sense, it's quite a kind of a simple process. Uh, you know, there were a few thousand people in the arena, um, the uh, Motorpoint Arena on Saturday night, yesterday night in in, in, Cardiff, in Cardiff, the capital of Wales, with Liam Williams from Cliddich Vale taking on uh, Chris Eubank Jr. in a British, all-British domestic uh, grudge fight with a lot of bad blood and enmity between the two men. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you're allowed as many people as you want into venues now. It's nice to be back because we had a bit of a hiatus in December as well. So mm. it's felt like we've had an off-season and like we're back in the season proper, and you know, as Kieran will know, you you know, if Wales are playing rugby in Cardiff, the streets are full of merriment and beer and large people singing songs of you know old of the, the English being sent home and uh, and the Celts playing each other rugby, but Wales are playing in Ireland in the, the opening um, weekend of the of the Six Nations tournament, the rugby. Last weekend. So it really was a boxing atmosphere in Cardiff on, on Saturday night. And people really came out in their thousands with plenty of beer in them <laughs> to, to, uh, to celebrate uh, Liam Williams against Chris Eubank Jr. And also on the card, of course, Clarissa Shields making her UK debut, the double Olympic champion three-weight world champion, and Caroline Dubois, the sister of Daniel Dubois, the, the up-and-coming young heavyweight. Uh, his sister, after the Olympics, not winning a medal, she made her debut on the card as
1: well. Yeah, so you mentioned the, the Claressa Shields being on, on, on the card. Um, She basically thumped poor Emma Cozen for the, for the duration of that fight and then afterwards got into it with Savannah Marshall ringside. Uh, as far as you're aware, is everything all set now for Claressa and Savannah to meet later in the year? And, and what's the thought in the UK about Savannah Marshall's chances going into that fight?
0: Well, I think... I I. I... I'll answer both of those things, Kieran. But also, I'll add to it. I think Emma Cozen was ranked number three in the world, a very tough fighter, um, unbeaten mandatory challenger for Clarissa Shields. Clarissa Shields made a lot of noise here this week. It's got a lot of um, leverage in national newspapers and in, in, in that kind of that round of um, like social media groupings of IFL TV and behind the gloves. All those kind of quite big boxing channels now online that, that generate interest with the, with the fanboy, fangirl kind of area digitally. Um, and she talks so well. She's, I, I think she's amazing. I did a story on her myself in The Telegraph. I think she's an extraordinary character. In fact, I'm hosting her at, at, um, at, a, at a launch for the Professional Fighters League. On Tuesday at Channel 4, where it's going on to Channel 4. MMA is going on to Channel 4. BBC is showing Bellator at the moment, by the way. But she's, Clarissa's one of those people that's cross coding, isn't she? She oh. wants to be champion in both. She made a lot of noise here this week. I thought she put her in a great performance against Emma Cozin, but there were question marks about her power mm. because she battered her for 10 rounds. You know, she won 100 to 90 on all three judges' cards, defending her middleweight titles. Uh, Savannah Marshall, that ring said I was just a couple of feet from the ladies because I was doing the live broadcast for Talk Sport and I was doing the post fight interview, so I had to chase them around. Carasa was very upset that Savannah was seen on Sky Sports asleep in her chair during the fight, um, feigning sleep, mm-hmm. but she was over to the side like this, snoring away. Um, as Clarissa knocked six bells out of Emma Cozen, as you rightly say. Um, and they went to, they went at it, you know and it's unusual to see two women. Clarissa feels disrespected. Um, uh, Savannah said it was an embarrassment um, that she can put her punches together. So we're all set. If Savannah defends her title on March, the 12th successfully, in Newcastle, I can't remember the name of the opponent right now, but she defends her title. They'll step for probably, I'd say, a July blockbuster women's fight here at middleweight, which is great. Um, and so, yeah, in that in that way, it's quite nice that Eddie Hearn's gone over to DAZONE. He's had a divorce with Sky Sports, and we've got Ben Shalom and Kalisal and the boxer uh, Saland and Vassaman, and a couple of other promoters, obviously top rank, having this relationship. With Sky Sports, which is very prominent here, um, a new kind of generation of fighters and people like Chris Eubank Jr. is one of those names that they want to project, like Savannah and, and like Clarissa.
1: So, what you, what do you, how do you feel about the matchup? Obviously, right now, Savannah has the thing that she's the only person, amateur or pro, to beat Clarissa in, in a boxing ring. I would assume. If you ask most boxing fans over here, they'd probably pick Clarissa to be a bit of a favourite. Would Savannah be favoured over there?
0: Savannah's looked really good under Peter Fury, Tyson Fury's uncle, who took him to victory, of course. Trained him for that victory over Vladimir Klitschko in Dusseldorf in November 2015. And he's very smart, Peter. And what they've added to to Savannah Marshall's game is that very fluid kind of movement that... Tyson Fury has, that Huey Fury has that's awkward, they become awkward to hit and then they plant and land and then they move again and she's looked very good with that style Savannah's a six footer yeah Mm. she's a big middleweight she's a big woman and she's come out of her shell, I remember meeting her when she was 16 she was so shy 17, 17, 18 maybe she was so shy but she believes in herself now, you'd never have seen her going tete-a-tete like full on vault fast, or full on run—not vault fast, full on with Clarissa like that, like she did on on Saturday. night. it's tremendous, um, and I think we're in for a clever fight from her. Um, before last night, I would have said that Clarissa lands and hurts Savannah, but I think Savannah—I th- I don't see—I don't think Clarissa's a um, finessing her style very much because i don't think she's got much to go up against that's been the problem so far and i think it's one of the issues for women's boxing that there's this top tier that extremely dominant gents yeah. and yet and we're about to see those fights we're going about to yeah. see amanda serrano and katie taylor knock six bells out of each other they're both hit the ball they both land a lot of shots they're both a similar weight they both got fantastic styles they're both robust come forward fighters. And they only fight two two-minute rounds, and they only fight 10 rounds. And I say only, by the way, with respect, exactly. that they're gonna knock six bells out of each other at Madison Square Garden, and it's gonna be a really close fight. Someone will win a razor type decision, and they'll probably do it again. I think it might be quite similar with these two when they fight nice. Marshall, um, kind of evasive and elusive and clever, and Clarissa hunting for that big knockout with the left hook, the right hand, the body shots. It's great, it's, it's fantastic. I remember, and you both remember this, I will let you speak in a second. Um, <laughs> you, could, you could have both shaved your faces clean in the time I've answered <laughs> the question. Um, was that was 2001, I went to a circus tent in Syracuse, New York, to watch Ali Frazier 4. I don't know if either of you were there. Layla Arley against and Frazier Light. The two old men turned up as well. Tito Trinidad there, there were loads of A-listers there. And I really enjoyed it. They went at it for eight rounds, those girls. They were amazing. And I think we've got that now and we've got the projection of some of these really talented women. I think there's 20, 30 women in the world who are amazing, but I think there's a big gap underneath it you know? I don't know what you think.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that, I mean, the, the women's game has evolved enormously in those past 20 years or so since the fight that, that you're mentioning, but you're right that the the ones at the top really do stand out. And and uh, if you hadn't brought it up, uh, I was about to bring it up that the, the Taylor Serrano fight is the one we're really looking forward to. There's an X factor in that promotion as, as Jake Paul is now Serrano's promoter, which will help the fight generate some buzz over here. But I kind of doubt that it needs that extra push in in the UK or Ireland. Um, What's your view on, you know, what Taylor has to do to win that fight? And um, sort of like the Shields Marshall question that Kieran asked, you know, do British fight fans and media generally expect Taylor to emerge victorious? Or or is there full recognition there of just how skilled and accomplished and tough Serrano is?
0: I'm not sure people really know. And she really showed it in that last performance. Mm -hmm. She was incredible. um and i make her a marginal favorite i don't i made you know you watch a great performance by someone and then it turns you doesn't it you think "Mm -hmm." but it's what she was up against i think katie taylor's shown a greater propensity to counterpunch recently which is rather than the kind of the the rushing raging bell that she was before and also that's I think that's given to age as well. I think she's 35 now, mm-hmm. Katie Taylor, and you know there's a bit of mileage on the clock. Those two really rough fights for Delphine Pursuit. Um, a really rough fight last year with um, Natasha Jonas. I've been I've been at all three of those fights, and they were incredible. <clears throat> and, um, and when you think about the very very long amateur career that Katie had, I. <sighs> I think Katie's got to be smart in the fight. I think Serrano um, is a very aggressive come forward fighter and she's trying to get you to fight. She's like all those Crawfords, the Spencers of this world, counter-punching aggressive fighters. So they're trying to make you fight them and then you can't respond when they're counter-punching you. A re- very clever fighter. Um, I, think, I think it's a razor type fight. I do think it'll be 10 rounds of non-stop action but i think katie's got to counter when serrano comes on but just move be a bit more elusive with her footwork i don't think serrano is as good with the kind of the lateral movement that katie started to show but god they're both incredibly elite fighters they you know it's an incredible fight i mean i know there haven't been many um big pre-sales at madison square garden it's the second biggest i think there have only been three but you know, it's, it's 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 going to be a really big night, and I, I'm pushing my my um my, my my sponsors, the people I work for, um to uh, to get me there for that week because I think it is going to be historic, and I think we yeah. should really cover it in, in 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 with fulsome style because I think yeah. it merits it. it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift, I think, in, in boxing uh, potentially uh, on on the weekend on the night.
2: Yeah, and it's one of those fights where they're both stepping up to clearly the best opponent either has faced in the pros, which is, uh, you know, what we love to see. Um, I did uh, mention that, that the co-promoter on this, uh, Jake Paul, I'm curious quickly just for the UK perspective or even just your personal perspective on the whole Jake Paul thing. Uh, are, are, are his fights getting much attention on, on your side of the Atlantic these days?
0: I'm not yet the British Prime Minister, so I can't speak for all the British people at this present time. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Um, okay. But if you both shave by the end of the podcast, I may <laughs> well put my my, my bit in to become a local MP and then work my way up in the next 25 years. But no, um, what do I think? I think you've got your boxing purists who don't like him. You've got your young people who admire him. And you've got... Uh, well, I'm among the people that think that he's a marketing genius. Yeah. Um, and and I've interviewed him and I've interviewed him a couple of times. I've been around him three or four times. And he's a very, very clever individual. He knows the game he's playing. I love him to fight Tommy Fury, by the way. I'd love him oh. to take on the Furies. It's a great matchup. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Um, it's, it's just so many different explosions. And <laughs> don't ever let John Fury anywhere near Jake Paul. If you ever see, john fury in a room 50 feet away from jake paul please either go and distract john or get jake (laughs) out of the room because after that press conference john gets his hands on him i worry for jake paul but I'm, i'm i'm i hope i'm not speaking out of turn there but i think he's i think he's very very interesting and i think he's spotted the fact he can get involved in this promotion and he can do something that what what young people call legit in the sport, that he's not just about himself and, you know, these kind of like circus act fights, but this is something he's, he's noticed. He's a very wealthy man. He's noticed that Samar, Sarano, Amanda Serrano needed the support. I, I know that Lou De Bella is probably not very happy about what's happened, but, um, cause Lou was involved in, you know, helping Amanda grow. Um, you know, we're all friends of Lou going back many years. and And I think, you know, he's done a good thing, Jake Paul. He, he's given her a lot of resonance. He's he's put his weight behind it. And look, there's a big press conference here in London tomorrow. And a lot of people will be going, not just for Amanda and Katie and Eddie Hearn doing the whole thing in Dazone, but the fact Jake Paul's there, he'll have a long line of people wanting to speak to him all week. So it's phenomenal, really.
1: Well, you mentioned the Furies. That's a segue. Um Uh, Tyson, we've
0: been doing this a long time, (laughs) Gareth. I know. You don't even really need us to be here, Gareth. (laughs) Don't worry, I've got a problem just talking while I let you get the old. I almost, I almost (laughs) feel like
1: we're my, my old inconveniences here already. But um... (laughs) so look, so finally, after a lot of back and forth, Tyson is now finally set to face Dillian White. So I think our sense here is that it's a pretty good fight and one that we'd look forward to. But that Fury should ultimately swat Dillian White aside. Is that a fair assessment?
0: Well, before I answer the question, I wanted to. I hope I'm visible. Oh, okay. <laughs> F- fingers are crossed for the you listeners. See my yes. fingers crossed. Yes. I'm hoping that we'll have a press conference in London on Thursday. Okay. The, the silence from Dillian White has been rather deafening since the, the, the 41 million purse bid won by Frank Warren and Queensbury Promotions. It worries me a little bit. Obviously, mm. I'm speaking to people behind the scenes. I did a story in the Sunday Telegraph today with Frank Warren saying he's optimistic the contracts will be signed and that they will have the two men in front of us this week. Um, We're even hearing things like Wembley Stadium could be in play for April the 23rd, or it might be a little later. I hope they go for Wembley Stadium. I think they can really sell this fight. Dillian White is a big challenge for Tyson Fury. I don't care what anyone says. Um, he's a very dangerous fighter with a very dangerous left hook it's an elite level knockout left hook um, and Dillian white's waited long and hard over three years for his wbc title challenge he's going six million pounds uh, two million more than his promoter a bidding promoter bid for him there's an upside of two six million pounds there's an upside of 2.5 million because of that 10 percent um, uh, escrow that the, the wbc demand so it's four million there for the winner as well in dollars so there's a lot of incentives not just the money on the line there's a massive moment of glory because dillian white becomes the number one heavyweight in the world if he wins it in my view because he's beaten the man who beat the man who beat the man who beat the man frankly i think fury is that man he's he's the linear he is the linear heavyweight champion he is he's, yeah. i think he follows in the line i think He's the era defining fighter. I want to see him fight Joshua. I want to see him fight White. I want to see him fight Yusick. He's fought Deontay Wilder three times. I know he's not a great boxer, but he's the hardest puncher. And he's got up four times. Is it four times? Three or four times? One, two. Four, four times, yeah. yeah. Four times. You know, who else has got up four times against Deontay Wilder and beaten him? Yeah. You know, um, arguably three times, even though one's a draw. So. yeah, I mean, I hope it happens. It's a really big fight. And it's been a very frustrating couple of months with the kind of dirty linen being washed in public. And, um, you know, he said, she said, a lot of blaming around it. And, you know, yeah. denial. I just saw in the Daily Telegraph on on or around the second week in January, you know, having spoken to a lot of sources saying that... that Anthony Josh was seriously considering 15 million step aside, but I do get what came out in the wash is that there are almost three people stepping aside in this whole thing. And you two have been around long enough in boxing a long time to know that one step aside deal is enough. It takes a lot, but to get a kind of quartet of fighters to, to, to kind of do sliding doors with each other and millions and millions of pounds and and trust that you get the, the you get the follow-on fight or you get the undisputed title afterwards, i.e. Joshua fighting the winner of Fury Usyk. I think that's huge in 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 a, in a marketplace that sometimes can be boxing can be kind of morally bankrupt at times in that kind of way, can't it? You know um, that people do what the hell they want to do at the end of the day, because it's the wild west. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's just a relief if that does get signed this week. And then ditto, Joshua announcing his training team and then announcing when this bloomin' fight Usyk is going to be.
1: Right. So you're
0: expecting that
1: announcement to come from Joshua and Usyk ideally fairly soon then?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we're, 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 we're going into the second week in February, and like they're going to fight in May, even. you need to know about it. It's a big fight. They sell a lot of tickets. And we want it to be at, you know, Spurs with 70,000 in London, Spurs Stadium, or Wembley Stadium, or somewhere, you know, significant because it's a big fight. It's a huge fight, mm-hmm. you know.
2: All right. Well, uh, speaking of uh, huge fights uh, in Britain, uh, I want to get your take on Amir Khan and Kel Brook, uh, who will finally be meeting in the ring in a couple of weeks. Um, Five or six years ago, this would have been a legitimately huge all British fight with international ramifications. Now, both men are past their best. Neither is really a factor globally anymore. But what's the level of enthusiasm for it anyway? Is it in fact a, a better late than never situation or, or would never have been just fine with you, Gareth?
0: No, absolutely not. I've covered the entire careers of both men and um, I've got a lot of love for both of them and a lot of respect for them and I've had spent some amazing times and great privilege and honour to have covered their careers. Um, both of them very different. Um Ami Khan... Brilliant for the British, Pakistani, Muslim community. One of the very first athletes to be so prominent from that community. And he's done so much for them. And and, and us, silver medal at the Olympics at the age of 17, all those kind of things. Um, yeah, of course, it's better late than ever. Kel, one of the, at, in his prime, one of the best fighters or boxers I've ever seen in the mid-range in the UK. Command of the ring, amazing. Physicality, extraordinary. Look, this is one of those moments, like, if if there's 500 of you and you need 500 at the event and you're all at primary school, yeah, and it's year six and you're all 10 and 11 and the two kids in the school that have never had the fight, we'd love to see it and everyone shouts fight, fight, fight in the playground. There's a circle of 500 people watching. Yeah. So this is a car crash fight. Mm -hmm. We're all going to rubberneck they are at similar states of decline. We do not know what's going to happen, so it's still a 50-50 fight. Yeah. So in that way, it's absolutely fascinating. Add to that the fuel that they absolutely don't like each other. Cal is emotional about disliking Khan so much. And Khan is so disdainful yeah, of Calbrook. And so what we have is a fight for the championship of each other, as as Jerry Eisenberg would say about Arlie Frazier three. It was no longer a world title fight. It was for the championship of each other. It was for bragging rights forever. And that's what this is. And I hope they both turn up in the ring, because there's a lot of ego to be be deflated for the loser. They have signed a rematch clause, so if it's fantastic. Mm. They're both up and down. They do 12 (laughs) rounds, and it's really close. We could see it again. But, yeah, there's a... It sold out really quickly. It sold out the Manchester Arena, 20,000 faster than any event's ever sold out at the Man- Manchester Arena. So they're regretting not putting it on in a bigger venue now, I think. But there's a lot of interest. I'm working on the broadcast on it for Talk Sport as well. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be up there in you know, in, in less than two weeks' time because it's going to be fascinating. They nearly went to it the minute they came together at the first press conference. They had to be held apart and Cal couldn't contain himself. I think it's going to be good fun. It's and, really, really good fun. And
2: Ali Frazier three is one of those examples. So we've seen this throughout history of great fighters who've lost half a step. Their defense isn't quite what it once was. You end up getting that much more thrilling of a fight out of it. Is, is there a chance that that'll be the case with Conan and Brooke, that the action will be better now than it might've been had it happened earlier? Assume, assuming assuming that they have the chin to hang in there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I think the thing is about those two amazing old heavyweights that you mentioned, or late heavyweights, the late great heavyweights. They're not old heavyweights, they're just amazingly great late heavyweights. Um they both had extraordinary chins at that level for a very long time. I know that obviously Joe got, you know, badly beaten up by foreman and you know, some of the bigger heavyweights did knock him around a little bit. But those two, I mean, that that fight, I mean, I've watched it and I've lived it through Colin Hart, the doyen of writers here, one of my mentors, and Jerry Eisenberg, you know, another one. I don't think Jerry was there. Was he there? He might have been, actually. And um, people like Bob Arum, who was there and, you know, lived vicariously through their great memories and the, the way they partied through... the Manila and, and the, the you know in the Araneta Coliseum as it was wasn't it and the heat when they came out it was like extraordinary and you watch it and it's like watching two old bears pour each other with claws isn't it for <laughs> take to batter two bells out of each other I think with Khan and Brooke, I think both men might be down in this fight and I do, and I think that. I genuinely can't pick a winner. I genuinely can't, because I can't decide who who is going to... It could come down to a, a gunfight at the OK Corral, who, who, who turns and, and blasts 1st khan um, Cohen's got such fast hand speed. Will he put Brooke away early? Will Brook be really clever for three or four rounds and then catch up with calm? Will they both go down? Will they get so much out of themselves that they want to go the full distance and we get this extraordinary fight? That's the beauty of this sport. You really never know when it's a fight like this. And a bit like I say, like last night, I was in Cardiff for Eubank and and Williams. We didn't know that Eubank was going to knock Williams down three times in the first four rounds. And then just showboat <laughs> and let Williams back into it and then dance around the ring and not do anything for the last round and shuffle and try and make the moves of Roy Jones Jr. And it, <laughs> you, you, the, you know you cannot predict what fighters <laughs> are going to do can you that's the beauty of it you know. Yeah.
1: yeah all right final question for you um and it's sort of reaching out a bit more globally um Eddie Hearn worked with Canelo Alvarez for a couple of fights and, and Canelo made no secret about the fact that he really liked working with Eddie. Um, word out there is that Canelo's got a couple of offers to mull over one of them from Eddie to take on Dmitry Bivol and then Gennady Golovkin and a PBC deal to face Jamal Charlo. Do you have any indication? Is Eddie at all confident about being able to work with Canelo again? Any indication of which way that might go? Or are you not hearing
0: anything? Well, um eddie's on his own trajectory at the moment let's be honest you know um i think i think i've got to say in here that um one of the big things to happen to eddie and to zone in the last week is um bt sport doing a deal with discovery right. for 50 50 uh sports uh rights and coverage which helps frank warren his rival which is kind of good news for the sport here, frankly, because then you've got you got Eddie Herman to Zone, you've got Boxer and um, Sourlands and um, Wasserman Sourland, and you've got Bob Arum, top-ranked with Sky, um, and you've got Frank Warren with uh, with PT Sport and, and Eddie with zone. I repeated myself there on one of them, but I got them all out <laughs> in the end anyway. But but the point is it keeps a tripartite um, kind of, of promoters going. Um Eddie and Canelo. Yeah, they'll work together. They're, 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 look, Canelo likes him. He likes the cheeky, cheeky chappy thing about... <laughs> and, and I think I do think there's a chemistry there between between them. Um, if you're asking who I think Canelo will fight next, are you asking whether he's going to work with Eddie or who I think will fight next? Yeah. Yeah, what do you reckon? Well, I think he will work with Eddie. And I think he won't fight Alumba Makabu in the end. No, no. Um, which was a nice move. And I thought he would have knocked him out, by the way. I thought Canelo would have knocked Macabre out. Um, Who does he fight next? I'd like to see him fight um, Arta Paterbium. Yes. that's an amazing fight. And you know what? Canelo can beat him on skills. Mm. Because Paterbium is a rock. You know, he's... you know, and we it would basically they could call this the irresistible force, Canelo, against the unmo- unmovable object, Arta Baturviev. And it could be two meteors colliding, basically. Mm. And it'd be an amazing fight. Um, they won't do it because I think it's probably too much risk. And as we know with certain fighters, it wasn't so much with Pacquiao, but with people like Floyd Mayweather, in the end, when you become so big, your opponents are normally. Not hand-picked, but, but picked at the right time yeah. to suit you. All that kind of stuff. I think he beats Golovkin now. I'd like to see Chris Eubank Jr. fight Golovkin after Rio Murata if they redo that one after it's postponed. Um, I, ju- I just think, what weight are they going to do Golovkin and Canelo? I mean, they'll have to do it at 12 stone, 168 pounds in my view, because... I, d- I cannot see Canelo getting back down to middleweight again. Yeah, he's, he's, he's too big now. And the way that man hits a golf club, hits a golf ball <laughs> Right? Have you seen it? <laughs> yep, I saw that yeah. shot. Not bad. i mean, like, he, he, he is a big dude now. I can't see him going. But uh, who's the other guy? Is it Benavidez? Yeah, I'd like, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Benavidez. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a really good fight. And Benavidez is a coming force, isn't he? Yes. Um, yes. Loved by everyone. Amazing style. Very tenacious. Canelo beats them all around his weight class. I think it's at light heavyweight against people like Bauterbiom that he has challenges. Mm. Um, but you know, he, he's he's a phenomenon. He's, he's going to get beaten in three or four years' time when when the new star emerges. But mm, right. I've said far too much for far too <laughs> long. And 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 but the only thing I'm pleased about today is that I had a shame. I knew this was going. Mm-hmm. No, I, well, listen, it's all sunbed, so don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> look, um, I had a shave before I came came on today, out of respect oh. for you two. And when I came oh, on here... Let that be a lesson had, to had, you. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, well, I wish I'd just let the grizzle go for a couple of weeks now, and then I could have joined <laughs> you, and I'd have felt like three amigos. As it is, I feel like the old guy that had to look try and look a bit younger by having a shave.
1: Oh when, look at me! You... I'm the guy with a white beard. I think I look like the old
0: guy here. Yeah, <laughs> and I was
2: going to say, when when the three of us all hang out at uh, Kieran's Vermont cabin, that you'll, a beard will be required to fit in. Exactly. In
0: there, Gareth. I, I I will wear a fakey. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're still talking about a
0: beard, right? I, yeah. Listen, you you go you go and do what you do with your beards. I <laughs> you do best with your beard. I say no more.
1: <laughs> Gareth, mate, thanks for coming. We really appreciate it. It's always fun to have you on the podcast. It's good to talk to you and good to see you, mate.
0: It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. Take
1: care, mate. Okay, tweet of the week time. And it relates actually to one of the contests we just discussed uh, with Gareth. This tweet is a little bit more consequential than, than the ones we normally have, which tend to be, you know, yuck fests if you will. Um, That's okay. A little bit of change is good sometimes. Sometimes, sure. As long as it's not too much change. Um, Anyway, this tweet comes from Shakur Stevenson, Hmm. who is tentatively scheduled to face Oscar Valdez in a 130-pound unification bout on ESPN on the same night that Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano are going head-to-head on DAZN. Shakur tweeted, To be honest, I hope they can stagger the times for my unification with Valdez and Serrano versus Taylor for April 30th. Let the lady shine, too, and the fans watch both fights. And that was, quote, uh, retweeted by Joe Murkurski of The Zone, who said, great idea, champ. The Zone boxing will make this happen. Now, of course, The Zone has made sure events didn't clash before, but they did it the wrong way, forcing Canelo Alvarez and Sergey Kovalev to wait in their locker rooms for an hour or more until a UFC event ended. Hopefully... If they do follow up on this promise from Joe Murkowski, uh, they take a different route. Maybe make sure that Taylor and Serrano enter the ring at 9 or 10 p.m. Eastern. They have plenty of time before Valdez-Stevenson, which would be better for UK and Ireland fans, too, of course. Mm -hmm. We need more of this kind of cooperation and less unnecessary counter-programming. I don't know how much folks had... uh, given thought to any of that but good for Shakur for for saying that that's something that he wanted to see yeah uh, I did see that tweet from Shakur and I saw the
2: the Dizon response and uh, I approve very much of all of it I feel like I may have said something on a podcast a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about these yeah I think that, so. I, that I hope they stagger them and um, we will be talking uh, in a bit when we get to the news segment about uh, the co-feature on one of these cards I specifically wrote in my ringside seat column that hasn't published yet, but that I wrote about a week ago, uh, I was requesting that indeed these main events be staggered and also that whichever one is running later has a crappy co-feature that I can easily afford to miss while watching Perfect. the main event of the other card. Um, so we're going to be talking about the uh, the Taylor Serrano co-feature, which is not crappy, but because that one's coming first, uh, assuming they do stagger as they're promising that they will, um, then, then that's fine. And I specifically in my column, to spoil my column that hasn't published yet, I specifically suggested – a Nico Ali Walsh fight for the Las Vegas co-feature. And I'd be perfectly fine missing one of those. And it actually sounds like that might be what I'm getting. So uh, oh, wow. win, win, win all around, if, uh, if that's how this shakes
1: out. Wow, there you go.
2: All right. Uh, well, uh, I think that leads very nicely into our news segment. Um, before we get to that uh, particular item that I was just referencing, uh, we'll do the main event, which is a very different sort of story and a reminder that there are many bigger things in the world than boxing. As we record this, there still seems to be no certainty as to what, if anything, is going to happen in Ukraine, whether Russia will invade and whether or in what way the United States would respond if Russia did invade. But in Ukraine itself, some citizens are at least preparing for the possibility of conflict. And one of them, is former heavyweight champion Vladimir Klitschko, who has signed up for Ukraine's equivalent of the Army Reserve. Uh, Brother Vidli, of course, remains the mayor of Kiev, Ukraine's capital city. Kieran, for the last two years, we've been commenting on the pandemic while stressing that we are not epidemiologists, (laughs) uh, while stressing here that you are not an authority on Russo-Ukrainian relations or the likelihood of conflict. Any comment you'd like to offer here?
1: Well, yeah, you're right. I don't have any knowledge here. I have no idea if they're genuinely planning to invade. They do seem to have a, a lot of troops massed on the border, but <clears throat> no idea whether this whole thing is a bunch of saber rattling that suits everybody without any intention to 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 launch into conflict. I I simply don't know. I don't know if that many people do. But um am. The brothers are certainly talking and acting as if war is at least a possibility. Um, mm-hmm. Vladimir said, um, it is the love, the love for my city, my home, my family, my neighbors, my daughter that has brought me here today that I took this initiative and I'm now taking part in this territorial defense, Vladimir said. Uh, uh, to which his brother, uh, who, as you mentioned, is, of course, the mayor of Kiev, added that a diplomatic solution is preferred. But, quote, if not, we have to prepare to take weapons in our hands and defend the country. I Damn. Um, A lot of us, particularly of Eric of our generation and younger, have never had to make that kind of choice and hopefully never will. Um, It's kind of jarring when it's somebody who you've covered and dealt with and experienced and gotten to know a little bit in an entirely different context, who's who's speaking in that way and making those kind of choices. choices uh vedali was on fox news the other day and was being interviewed by professional idiot brian kilmeade uh, who (laughs) began the interview by trying to compare the situation to being in the boxing ring and of course vedali shot him down instantly saying it's a total different story it's not sport it's hard reality um i truly have no idea what's going to happen here whether it's going to be anything or not or whether it's going to be one of these things that just kind of fades away but much i mean just beyond respect to the brothers for their commitment to uh, their country and their readiness to fight for what they believe in. These are guys who could have easily taken a very different route in life after they hung up their gloves. They could have taken the easy life and lived in L.A. or Germany or or really whatever they, they wanted to do and, and just enjoy the celebrity life. Neither of them has done that. I mean, especially Biddley, but now also Vladimir. For that alone, they just deserve just immense respect, I think.
2: Yeah, I would just add that I've felt for a while that the Klitschkos are just good men. Uh, you know, yeah. whatever I might have said about them being at times boring in the ring or, or, or bad for heavyweight boxing, which I still think that they were to some extent uh, because of the way they fought and it, it wasn't great for the division. I have long believed they're, they're both good and decent men. And... Um, Vladimir Putin is very much not. And uh, if you're <laughs> against Putin, you're on the right side. And if you're aligned with Putin, you're on the wrong side. I mean, that might sound like an oversimplification, but even if it is, it's not an oversimplification by much. Um, so
1: good good for the Klitschkos for fighting for what's right. All right. We have some more conventional news items in the undercard. Uh, a few fights have been lined up. Uh, Jamel Charlo against Brian Castanio 2 is set for March 19th in what is now the Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles. Ryan Garcia will be making his comeback after a year or so out of the ring when he takes on Emmanuel Tagot on April 9th on zone. And the pathway appears to be being laid for him to fight lightweight champ George Cambosis if he beats Tagot and Cambosis wins an interim bout. Uh, The fight that you were alluding to just now, Jesse Vargas versus Liam Smith, which had originally been slated for this past Saturday night until Vargas tested positive for COVID, has now been rescheduled as the co-main event of Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. And next weekend sees the return of Daniel Jacobs as he takes on Britain's John Ryder at the Alexandra Palace, the old Ali Pally, as they call it (laughs) in London. Uh, Thoughts on any or all of the above? Yeah, I'll hit
2: on all those uh, in the reverse order of how you just laid them out. Uh, Jacobs-Ryder, hard to get too excited about it. Ryder is sturdy, but shouldn't be too competitive here unless Jacobs has really lost a step. Although, in fairness, I said the same before Ryder fought Callum Smith, and he gave Smith a much tougher fight than I expected. Um, But generally, not a big boxing weekend ahead of us. I can focus on making a number of losing Super Bowl bets next weekend instead of betting on <laughs> boxing. Um, Vargas Smith, yeah, I already touched on this. I'll just say it makes for an excellent Taylor Serrano co-feature. That's a very strong one-two punch uh, atop that card. Um, Garcia Tagot, uh Tagot isn't bad. He's He's probably too rigid to deal with Garcia's speed and athleticism, but He's not a pushover. Uh, he's on a nice little 32-fight win streak since losing his tro- <laughs> pro debut. He's won every fight since then. Um, you know, if Ryan Garcia is rushing back while still not past his mental health issues, then anything can happen in the ring. It turns to go into a very live underdog if Garcia is not at 100%. Um, the big one of these news items uh, here for me is the Charlo Castaño news. The fight has been announced in so much as tickets have gone on sale, but the network hasn't been announced. Uh, But as has been widely reported, and we're hearing the same things, this is expected to be a Showtime card. Uh, There are reports of Tim Zhu's U.S. debut, perhaps, on this card. So we should have a lot more to say about this. Uh, We may even have a guest on soon who will have a lot more to say about it. Um, I guess I'll leave it there for now, other than to note the obvious that... Charlo Castagno won, was excellent, and a draw was
1: fair, and it deserves a rematch. So bring it on. It was also my very best to date of uh, uh, my best bets on the um, on our little Money Punch podcast, as I recall. I believe that was what catapulted me to fame. <laughs>
2: pick the draw, I guess. Yes. And then and then you followed it up with the Magsayo pick uh, recently. Uh, it's it's a shame you don't put real money behind any of these.
1: Yeah. Stupid Vermont with its lack of actual <laughs> gambling. And my stupid lack of actual money.
2: Right. The, More comment- to the point. And and your stupid, not excessive desire to risk money. Those those three things all together are really <laughs> working against right. you here. Right, precisely. All right. Uh, let's finish the show with me issuing your next top five okay. challenge, Kieran. Um, and you should be very much not caught off guard by this. Okay. I couldn't come up with any great new ideas this week, so I'm simply sticking with the idea that I mentioned during last week's top five list when I was talking about home shavers and how it was one of the greatest examples of overcoming adversity to win, and I mentioned Corrales Castillo and Gaddy Rodriguez, and I said, well, that might make for a good top five list someday. Well, someday has arrived, um, but <laughs> I will be adding a timing parameter. Uh, we, I won't have you okay. do all time. That would be a lot of boxing history to cover. Uh, so, Kieran, your assignment is top five examples of overcoming adversity to win of the 2000s so far. So... <laughs> Holmes Shavers isn't up for consideration, nor is Gaddy Rodriguez. So there's only one spoiler so far. It's Corrales Castillo being mentioned. That might well be number one on your list. We shall see. Uh, But the rest of your options are unknown. Um, But important to note that, that the fighter facing adversity has to win. So... Tyson Fury rising like The Undertaker against Deontay Wilder. Can't make the list. That was a draw. Same with Marquez in the first Pacquiao fight. Same with Gary Russell competing with one arm against Meg Sao. He did some fine work in the face of adversity, but he lost the fight. So there you go. That's the assignment. They have to have overcome adversity and won the fight covering from January 1st, 2000 to present.
1: That's going to be, actually, I mean, I appreciate the, the the time limitation, although I was, of course, going to go for the 49 rounds of Joe Jeanette and Sam McVeigh in, like, 1909. <laughs> Naturally, right. <laughs> oh, that was going to be top of my list. But uh, even within that, I mean, that's still, I, I hate to to say it, but God, that's almost a quarter century already. Um, <laughs> You're right. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of good and exciting fights that I'm going to have to dredge the old memory banks for. So that's going to be a fun assignment because unlike last week when we both had exactly five <laughs> right. and the exact same five we're going to have a lot here i think a lot yeah. of potential I, I mean i think i already i think we've already talked about what's my obvious clubhouse leader for number 1 right. but uh, there are going to be a lot of others to think about. That's because it's the essence of what makes boxing great, right? It's yes. Is like that, that. Those are the fights that, that that linger, that we remember, that people come back for. So, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, that's going to have to require a little bit of thinning there.
2: <laughs> well, yes, that uh, that's why they pass the big bucks, Kieran. so that we, uh, you know, that we 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 do a little thinning from time to time during to that money. do they pass big bucks. Medium bucks.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe medium do bucks. some, me-
2: do some at least some medium thinning between now. That and That seems week.
1: reasonable. Okay. That seems reasonable. Yes, <laughs> I will do exactly the amount that I am required to do, but no more. Okay. <laughs> All right that will do it for another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney many thanks as always to the virulent anti-beardite gareth davis (laughs) i had no idea about that aspect of his personality all the years i've spent with him but there you go um we will be back next week to recap daniel jacobs against john Ryder and to look ahead to one of the fights we talked about with gareth uh, amir khan against kelbrook until then thanks for listening be safe be kind and be well